It's officially late July. The trade deadline is in just about a week. And does anybody want to be a National League wildcard team? You are locked on MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Locked On MLB with a Locked On Diamondbacks crossover for the 24th day of July, 2023. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm an Emmy-nominated television producer who has been a baseball podcaster for over a decade now, and this is my fifth season here at the Lockdown Podcast Network. And not just on this show, this whole week, I'm going to be doing guest spots for Lockdown Rockies as well. Not as a guest, but as the host. So if you like your pal Sully and your earbuds, also subscribe to Locked on Rockies. We're having a lot of fun over there. But this is not a Locked on Rockies crossover. This is a Locked on Diamondbacks crossover. And right over there is my weekly partner, mystery guest. Sign in, please. Yeah, Miller Thomas here checking in, host of the Locked on Diamondbacks podcast. You can follow me on Twitter, my personal account, at CreatorThomas24. Follow the show account, Locked on Diamondbacks, both Twitter and Instagram. And please hit subscribe to both our YouTube channels, Locked on Diamondbacks and Locked on MLB on YouTube. All right. And, hey, by the way, um, we have on uh, uh, the, the trivia question, from the other day, uh, we had we have ourselves a a correct answer. Um, the question was, who was the only person to win an American League batting title? And in the year where they won the batting title, they did not hit a home run that whole season. Now we had someone who Scott Campbell had a great answer to it. It was wrong. But he had a great answer to it. He thought it was Willie McGee who actually won the National League batting title that year, but finished the year on the American League with the A's and didn't hit a home run for the A's. So he thought that I was trying to play a little uh, a little bit of a three-card Monty with the mm. question. He said, nope, that was a great – that's some good knowledge there. But the fact of the matter is he – uh, he did hit home runs while winning the batting title for the Cardinals that year. The answer is Rod Carew. Whoa. Rod Carew won the batting title, one of his many batting titles that he won. And uh, I believe it was the 1973 one. He did not hit a home run all year long. Uh, by the way, a friend of the podcast, Gar Reness, who was actually the first ever guest I ever had on the old Sully Baseball podcast. He's better known as Batting Stance Guy, where he has an amazing set of videos where he mi perfectly mimics people's batting stances. He, he appeared on David Letterman doing that. He's invited. He's been invited to Major League uh, clubhouses where you, there's videos of him imitating the different batting stances, much to, and the like uproarious laughter uh, of the other players as he's spot on. He, he says it's the least marketable skill he's ever seen, and he's a <laughs> uh, he's a buddy of mine. We we watch World Series games together. And when he was on Letterman, I may post this clip on uh, Sully Baseball. He was on Letterman. When Letterman, who, of course, is a huge baseball fan, would be yelling out specific players. Most of them were stars from the 70s and 80s, like do Joe Morgan, do Willie Stargell. And when he did his Rod Carew, he said Rod Carew was so relaxed when he was on, at the plate. He said, 
it's believed that a couple of times he actually fell asleep while he was at bat to sort of just not waking up and just holds the bat so gently. But when I was a kid, I know Rod Carew is before your time. A little bit. Uh, I did a, uh, there was one year, it was 2017. I did a baseball card of the day every day on the old Sully baseball um, blog. And I posted the card of the back-to-back years of the first two years. I really collected baseball cards. You had uh, uh, Rod Carew and Dave Parker were the batting champions. The first year I collected baseball cards and the second year I collected baseball cards. So it said batting champions, Rod Carew, Dave Parker. Next year, Rod Carew, Rod Carew, batting champions, Rod Carew, Dave Parker. And I just assumed, well, that's what happens every year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that had nothing. It almost had nothing to do with their accomplishments. That that's their title. They're the batting champion. Just like the first two years, the home run kings, of the National League was George Foster and Jim Rice in the American League. Next year, same two. So like, well, I guess that's how it is. Every year, Rod Crew leads the league in hitting, and Jim Rice leads the league in home runs, and Dave Parker and and George Foster. Little did I know. But anyway, that's a little Rod Crew, and that's what the answer to that is. We're gonna have another trivia question, which, by the way, is the same trivia question I po- posted on Locked on Rockies. So I'm going to see if people on Locked on MLB or Locked on Rockies gets my upcoming trivia question down. Okay, let's talk a little bit about uh, wild card races. Hey, uh, Millard, you follow the Diamondbacks mm-hmm. for the wonderful Locked on Diamondbacks podcast. Let me ask you a loaded question, shall oh. I? Yes, sir. How do you think the Rockies have done recently? <laughs> oh, God. The Colorado Rockies, I'm not going to lie to you. They're not a team I'm checking on too often when it comes to the standings. I'm looking at the uh, NL wildcard race right now. The Rockies are sitting uh, dead last in that standing race. But they've also not lost a series since the All-Star break, and they've done nothing but play contenders. In other words, the Rockies are the king of the upsetters, which brings us to the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks are currently a playoff team. How are they doing? Uh, it doesn't feel like they might be a playoff team for long, silly baseball, because they've been struggling since about mid-June here. Yeah, but here's the deal. Though the Diamondbacks just got swept. All right? <laughs> Don't remind they, me. They're on a four-game losing streak. They've lost eight of their last ten games. But Not guess good. what? The Giants have been awful, too. Mm-hmm. The Giants got swept by the Nationals. They got smacked around. They got taken to the woodshed. And not only that, but the the Marlins won an extra inning game in the bottom of the 10th today only because Bud Black fell asleep like Rod Carew during the middle of an at-bat and managed the 10th inning as badly as he could. But before that, the Marlins had been, excuse me, the Marlins had been, as I knocked my headset around, on an eight-game losing streak. And not to be outdone, the Philadelphia Phillies, who did manage to pull off an extra inning win to the uh, against Cleveland today, but they've been on a disastrous losing streak. Nobody wants to win. Do you know who the team with the top the top wild card team is as of this recording? Do you know yeah, who it is? I do, unfortunately, because they swept my team this week. The Reds, yeah. who a week ago were on the outside looking in. And now they'd have home field advantage. Now, granted, one game in the loss column separates first place. When I say when I say first place, I mean in the wild card. First place, Cincinnati, and uh, 
fifth place Miami. One game in the loss column separates Cincinnati, Arizona, San Francisco, Philadelphia, and Miami. And here's the weird part. Only four games in the loss column behind them are the freaking Cubs who are selling. Now, no, you just smirked because, yeah, they're not going to win anything. But what if all these other teams are on a free fall, then you're like, holy Toledo. It may open the door for one of these teams. Tell, what's, go, for, what's going on with the D-backs and what's going on with all these teams that don't seem to want to be part of the wild card chase? I don't know. I mean, at least for the D-backs, I got such tunnel vision on that team. I know they've just been terrible against these at least 500 or better teams since mid-June. But because I watch the D-backs every day, it just feels like my world is falling apart. But you did help me out here, so baseball, putting it into perspective that it's not just the D-backs are struggling. It's everyone in that NL wildcard race. And so that helps me a little bit with knowing that the season's still long and the D-backs are going to be in the thick of the race. And I actually want to see, like, it's kind of more fun that all these teams are struggling together because you – your team loses, you feel demoralized, but then you look at the standings and you're like, oh, nothing has changed. So you yeah. can still keep the same kind of positive attitude they might have had, you know, a couple of weeks ago. But I'm really just curious to see how these teams are going to approach the deadline because all these teams are right in the mix, but no one exactly is pulling themselves away right now. So how do these front offices you know, evaluate their own clubs and say, you know what? This team is good enough to make a deep postseason run. Let's add a couple more pieces. Or you're going to be like the Miami Marlins. We're like, we're going to try to get in there naturally, but we're not going to be sellers. We're not going to be buyers. We're just going to stand pat and just let this season play out. I want to see what's going to happen. You mentioned the Cubs. I still think they're going to be big sellers, but in a week and a half, if they're still like three game, if they're like three and a half out, like I, I don't know what they're going to do. Like this NL wild card race is going to be fascinating as we approach the deadline. Yeah, and I, we're going to talk a little bit more about that because I have some I have some real thoughts about some of the teams that are in free fall that could really help uh, help themselves at the deadline, and two teams who must be looking at this free fall and smacking themselves right in the head. But first, do you think Corbin Carroll or Jordan Alvarez, I guess he's hurt right now. How about Vlad Guerrero Jr.? Do you think those guys could hit a home run tonight? Well, if you do, you should go to a sleeper because right now they're doing 100 times payouts. You can choose two or more players. You can select up to eight guys. You can choose stat categories as well, like home runs, strikeouts, hit, and more. And if you get your picks right, you can win. Big Sleeper is a fantasy sports plus real money gaming app focused on bringing people together through sports and gaming. Sleeper has become the fastest organically growing fantasy platform in the world with over 5 million active users. Sully Baseball, if you're looking at the YouTube video, has it up on his screen right now. It's great for daily fantasy baseball. And the reason why I love Sleeper personally is because when that football season rolls around, I do a dynasty league on the Sleeper app. It keeps track of all your players. Look at that. You can see Yoshida right now on the Sleeper app on Sully Baseball screen. Such an easy platform to use. I absolutely love it. So, so easy. So yeah. easy. Even Sully can use it. Even Sully can use it. And that man, I don't know if you guys know this, but Sully's over 50 years old. So they get a little techni technologically, yeah. you know. Back in my like, day, we prayed to yeah. Stradamanic while eating a rotisserie chicken. Yeah, Sully used to play games on the typewriter. So now that we got the Sleeper app, 
Sully can take his gaming to the next level. So use promo code LOCKDOWN. You'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Currently operational in over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. Ty Cobb will get two hits. Walter Johnson will strike out five. That was how I started doing uh, the uh, fantasy baseball. Cy Young will get to eight innings. Stop. Christy Mathewson will strike out ten. Stop. Yeah, I can't even like, imagine doing fantasy baseball in the nineties and like having to mail each other like fantasy. I, that's you know what? That's one of the reasons why I didn't do it. Like so, so many people try to get me into fantasy, and it was just like I, I have to, you know, go to the. Here we go. Oh boy, I got my picks here. I'm gonna take. <laughs> I can't wait to get them in. Oh cripes, cripes! I hope I get Kirby Puckett on my team today. I hope he gets a hit, and then you, then they would get it back and be typed out like a mimeograph, like there. You know, it would just be like one of those letters you got back from the War Department in uh, uh, during World War Two. By the way, saw Oppenheimer. Oh, I'm waiting. I, it's so like hard to see. Like every seat is filled for like the next week. I'm trying to yeah. wait for like that 70 millimeter IMAX. Would you I, go to see it? Uh, I saw. I didn't see it 70 millimeter. I wanted to go see it this weekend. All the best jokes are in the trailer. I mean, if, if you're looking for it to be really funny, like all the funny parts are in the trailer. Okay. So. Just serious, just, just serious and, and gritty. Oh yeah, it yeah. does. Yeah, it's uh, uh <laughs> it's it's very good. Surprising, Christopher Nolan made a good movie, but uh, yeah, it's intense. No it's double intense. feature for you with Barbie. No Barbenheimer. I almost, I almost had to see Barbie afterwards just yeah. to sort of relax a little bit. But instead, I watched baseball. And let's get back to that. Oh, um, I'll tell you two teams that must be looking at this free fall from the National League wild card with absolute agony have to be the Padres and the Mets. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about the star mm-hmm. power that they put together, the the fact that they're two of the three highest payrolls in baseball. If you had told them that there would be a bunch of upstart teams that suddenly those carriages are turning into pumpkins right around the trade deadline. And like, look at a lot of people were picking the Mets and San Diego to win the division. I think I picked San Diego to win the division. I was duped. I know I, I picked it. I know I picked Atlanta to win the division, but I do believe I flipped the coin. I thought it was going to be that close. Um, You're looking at these teams like San Francisco, your boys, um, you're looking at, you know, Cincinnati, who went on a huge slump until recently. You're looking at the slump that, uh, you know, Philadelphia went on, that Miami went on. I mean, if the all the all the Mets and the Padres had to do was be around 500 right around now, they would be in an absolute phenomenal position to add to the team and punch their cards and get and get into the playoffs and, and take their chances. You know, I know both teams had visions of winning a pennant dancing in their head, but, you know, you don't put together a star-studded team like they had and think, oh, cripes, I hope we're the visiting wildcard team. But you take that now, but now they can't – they're not even – I mean, as of this – I mean, we full disclosure, we're recording this before the, uh, the Mets-Red Sox game. So you people listening in the future – uh, you know, you know what happened in that game, but you know, even if the the Mets win that game twenty to nothing and it's a perfect game, they'll still be sub five hundred. They'll still be five games under five games under five hundred. 
best case scenario is they're going into this week six and a half games out. I'm sorry. I don't care what free fall people are in front of you. It's tough to make up six and a half games. It's tough. But if we think a team like the Chicago Cubs at five and a half games is still in the race, then we got to believe a team like the Padres with that that, that, that quartet that they have in their lineup. Uh, maybe the New York Mets, I feel a little bit more, uh, I feel less optimistic about just because their pitchers are just so old and they're starting to look like they might be hitting a little bit of the decline a little bit. But the Padres have real talent still in their prime. I think can, you can still convince yourself in the second half. They still have upside. They're still upward trajectory there with the Padres. I don't feel the same way about the New York Mets. But, hey, if we check back in a day before the deadline and the Padres are like three and a half back, I find yeah. it hard. A guy like A.J. Preller, who's been super aggressive, doesn't try to make moves. Now, maybe that's selling off some pieces because there's been some rumors that a guy like Blake Snell, who's an impending free agent, who's having a fantastic season, could be moved. Or a guy like Josh Hader, who's also impending free agent, could be moved. Like, both of those teams – are the perfect teams to go and pick off pieces if you're trying to make a deep postseason run. Like, you got your Verlanders and the Scherzers in the, in the Mets rotation. You got pieces like the Blake Snell and the Padres rotation. But how do those teams, the Padres and Mets, feel about selling? After spending all this money in the last couple off-seasons, after being so aggressive, do they just want to give up and have a fire sale at the deadline? I feel like a guy like Stephen Cohen doesn't want to do that in terms of dignity. So I'm very curious to see how all these teams are going to attack the deadline. I think it has to go I think it has to go with this week. Like right now the Padres Padres are going to be playing this week. They're going to be playing Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh has been in a tailspin. Awful. Now, what the Pod, what Padres and Mets have to go on not win a series, win a series. They have to go on like a 6 or 7 game winning streak. Mm -hmm. They have to go on a roll. Now, the Pirates have been pretty bad. And if San Diego, who are throwing Snell in their next game, they don't play, they have, they have an off day on Monday. If San Diego could start getting on a roll, then I don't think they'll do any selling. I, I only brought up the Cubs. I don't think the Cubs are a contender. They're a sub-500 team in late July. They should yeah. be thinking about selling. They should be thinking about opening up as much salary space and then start singing overtures to – uh, Shohei Otani over in the off season. Uh, the, the, the Mets are the team that's in the real interesting spot because they're about to play the Yankees. Now the Yankees just finished sweeping Kansas city and the first game was super tight. They got great Yankees got amazing infield defense on the game on Friday that basically saved the game. Cause if they went from getting swept by losing the series to Colorado, getting swept by the angels and losing game one to Kansas city, Oh my God! It just there would be pitchforks and torches. They held on for dear life on Friday, and then won Saturday pretty easily, and then had a late rally on Sunday to finish the sweep. They did what they had to do. We've been trashing the Yankees for losing these games they've done before. You gotta at least praise them a little bit for saying they had three games against a team they should have beat, and they freaking swept them. And so they did that. Now, have they righted the ship? Or are the Royals just that bad? Bad. And they're gonna the Mets are gonna play the Yankees. They have Verlander going against Herman. Herman, as we know, can be perfect, but most of the time he's not. Verlander has actually pitched pretty well recently. Mm -hmm. This game is critical for the Mets. They have to go on a run. Now, if they go on a five, six game winning streak, suddenly they're hovering back around five hundred and 
the last wildcard team is probably not going to be that much higher than 500 if, if, if you know, recent weeks have been any indication. So for those two big budgeted teams, this is the most critical week of the season because if they lose to the Yankees and the Padres stub their toe, then yeah, trade away Snell and yeah, trade away Scherzer. Yeah, we see teams like we saw this last year where like the Phillies who are really struggling the first half of the season. Then they get rolling the second half. You make the third wild card or the second wild card, and then you're on your way to the World Series. And for this New York Mets team, like if you're Stephen Cohen and this is year one of this fat payroll, you almost tried to get Carlos Correa. Like if this is year one where your payroll's anchored by like these two near 40 guys. I mean, Scherzer's already 40. Justin Verlander's yeah. like 39. If this is year one, like you said, Verlander's been pitching well recently, but this is not the Verlander that we saw last year. Like his strikeout no. numbers are way down. It doesn't seem like he, he looks more like a number two or number three starter right now. Scherzer doesn't even look like that number one guy that we've seen from the last few years. So no. here's Stephen Cohen. This is year one of that payroll, and this is the results you're getting. I feel like you're probably more likely to sell those guys at the deadline if you could maybe just eat a little bit of salary and get a couple pieces back. But like you said, the NL wildcard race, like those teams ahead of the Mets and Padres, they are struggling right now. Like you talk about, you need a six or seven game winning streak from the Padres. Like that's realistic. When you think about your team, like the Miami Marlins who just went on an eight game losing streak. So if a team like the Marlins or the D backs who we felt so good about for the first half of the season, I thought my D backs are rolling. I thought they're going to win the division. Now they've come crashing back to earth. And the team like the Padres, when you got the Machados of the world struggling, you got the Bogarts of the world struggling, the Darvishes, you have so many stars in on your team that you can say, you know what, a good second half from them, and maybe we could still make some noise. Maybe we could get to like 86, 87 wins and make the postseason. And once you get there, anything can happen. But these next two weeks are critical, are just absolutely critical. I mean, we're not going to go into the American League right now as well because no, like, no. like the Angels. But the, these next two weeks are just such a big flashpoint for so many teams. Are they going to be sellers at the deadline, or teams are going to stand pat, or are they going to be buyers? I don't know if I've ever approached the deadline two weeks out where I'm like half the league are either going to have a fire sale or they're going to try to pick off pieces from other rosters because so many teams are just like in this no man's land of purgatory where they don't know what's up, what's down, and whether they should go be aggressive or not. And we saw in just the last two years, at this point last year, the Phillies went on a big roll mm -hmm. and eventually they got all the way to the World Series. At this point last year, last two years ago, Atlanta had a losing record and had, and had lost Acuna for the season. And they made some smart moves, not high-profile moves, and that wound up. They wound up. Both of those teams got all the way to the World Series. Obviously, Atlanta won the whole damn thing in 2021. Uh, do I think, you know, I mean, it's it, it, get in, just get in. But if the Padres and the Mets want to be the next name on that list of NL pennant winners who were out of it at this point, uh. They better start winning right now. Yeah, and with the Mets, I just don't feel good about their future. Like, if they sell off a Scherzer and Verlander, I just don't know where they go from there. At least with the Padres, I still feel like they got this core in place. If they if they get – I don't even know what words you're saying. Oh, I might need to – ta Okay, there you go. I mean, you – I mean, I mean, I'm sure Stephen Cohen would be ready to just give him a blank check and say whatever you want. He'd probably be, he'd be salivating in that free agent meeting with uh, Shohei Otani. So if the New York Mets can – 
save some money by selling off a of Verlander or Scherzer, and then you bring Otani, sure, then their future, uh, you know, changes in my eyes. But I think at least for a San Diego Padres team right now, if you do sell off the Snells and the haters of the world, I still feel great with that lineup. I still feel like you'll still have a pretty strong rotation and a core piece is there. For the New York Mets, I don't know how I feel about that team moving forward if they start being sellers at the deadline. All right, last segment here with Miller Thomas. Uh, we talked about the future of, with the future pennant races. We talked about the present with some of the teams sliding. Let's talk a little bit about the past. We had a great Hall oh. of Fame weekend. And that's, to me, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm not intensely emotionally quivering my bottom lip over Fred McGriff and Scott Rowland. That being said, they were both wonderful players. I saw their entire careers. Uh, I've always felt Fred McGriff was probably the most underappreciated of the sluggers of his time. You know, he wasn't hitting the 60 home runs. It just every year, 35, 40, 35, 37, 30, like every year, Fred McGriff, whether it was the 80s, 90s, 2000s, he just was, he was just a consistent crusher of homers and uh, oh my goodness, his body didn't suddenly change or he didn't suddenly become a 70 home run hitter in his forties. Uh, I'll just leave that one right there. Um, and, you know, hit was part of some, you know, playing the postseason with a bunch of teams was part of, uh, I think the single best team to not win a pennant, which was the blue Jays of the late eighties, early nineties. Yes. I know the blue Jays wound up winning the world series in 92 and 93, but McGriff, was part of one of the the biggest massive blockbuster trades of two all-stars in exchange for two all-stars. Fred McGriff and Tony Fernandez for Roberto Alomar and Joe Carter. I mean that that's a trade you don't see anymore. That's a ba- that's a trade you make on so rare, you know, and that was uh and that when that trade happened, it's like holy what? And um and but yeah, you his arrival with the, on the Braves in 1993 just turned them into a juggernaut. He hit a home run in his first World Series at bat uh, in the World Series against uh, Cleveland in 1995. Um, all class, no one on the planet has a bad word to say about Fred McGriff. And uh, so I'm glad he's in. Scott Rowland's one of the great third basemen in the history of baseball. I have no compunction saying that. Uh, had a super long career. World Series champion, playoff hero, almost hit one of the greatest home runs in the history of the Cincinnati Reds, where he hit a long drive to left field. That if, it, if it stayed fair, the Reds would have won the division series against. It would have been a series-clinching home run that hooked foul, and the Reds wound up losing the series to the Giants, and the Giants wound up winning the World Series that year. Uh, take that, Jeff Carr, that memory of how close you came uh, a Scott Rowland foul ball away from going to the NLCS uh, in um, 2012. But yeah, I've, those are two legit hall of famers. Okay. And, that, and I, that's... and I like that they're both in, I, I would have voted for both of them. Okay. That's kind of my question about the legitness of this hall of fame, because I always wonder when a guy's like on a ballot for like five, six, seven years, and then they finally make it. Does that really validate their career of being a Hall of Famer? Or does it need to be a little bit more strict? Because I do see some people have some complaints about the Scott Rowland where it's like, maybe he was a great player, but was he that Hall of Fame player? Did you fear a Scott Rowland? I did. I I understand what you're saying. And I understand. I, I think that this is magnified 
because some of the superstars who have been on the ballot have been left off and he's been put on. I think the fact that the, the Bonzes and the Clemenses and the A-Rods and the Manny Ramirez's and the Rafael Palmeros of the world who have had who have the stats and the legitimacy and the superstarness of baseball are left out and Scott Rowland is left in and Scott Rowland didn't capture the imagination of the baseball going public the way I think he is part of a backlash of uh, for people who say what a rod's not in and Roland is bonds yeah. is it you know I mean it's and it's and it it's sad to me because I do think Roland's a legit hall of famer I just think that when people start comparing to some of the people who've been left off I think that's where this this backlash may uh, have come about um and, and, you know, the, and, I, and I'm so, you know, in a way, I'm so mad that Harold Baines got into the Hall of Fame for this reason, because people will now point to talk about his career as if he was a bad player. He wasn't. He obviously had a wonderful career. Mm -hmm. He played for 20 some odd years. He got 2,800 some odd hits, was an all star many times over. He was a he was a terrific second banana on many teams. A professional player, professional hitter, no one has a bad thing in the world to say about him. But when he got in, he got like 5% of the vote from the writers. And Tony La Russa was sitting on the committee and he was Baines's manager. And so he got the public, he got the uh, groundswell of that committee to put him in because he's a hell of a nice guy. And so now people talk about Baines and to a lesser degree, Roland, as if they didn't have, you know, Roland, I think, has a Hall of Fame worthy career. I don't think Baines did. And I don't – I'm not mad that he's in. I'm mad that him being in is now – he's now going to be – people will bring him up and also bring up Bonds in the same breath. You know, that's the thing that's annoying. Yeah. Um, the politics of the Hall of Fame voting has always bothered me when it comes to people putting their own personal biases and ejecting their own personal feelings into the voting. Just tell me if you guys – if you think that guy's a Hall of Fame player or not. And one guy that I was comparing Scott Rowan to who – uh, for to a, I was comparing him to a dude who just had his final year on the ballot this past season who mm -hmm. didn't make it. He had 10 years on ballot and got knocked off, but he was a former MVP. And just comparing their stats side to side, I thought it was really close, but I was surprised this guy got cut from the ballot while Rowan made it. Jeff Kent, I'm not saying I'm a big Jeff Kent supporter or anything like that, but just if you put the two guys side by side, statistically, they're damn near the same. And then Jeff Kent's got that little MVP. I don't know too much about his own career, but I'm just like, why is a guy like Scott Rowland? Is it that much of a difference between Scott Rowland and the next guy, even though statistically they look the same? I was never the biggest Jeff Kent guy in the world. I think he benefited from uh, Bonds. I think his career exploded when he was protected. You know, they had to throw him a strike because they just walked Bonds. Um, I, I, you know, but there's also, I think everyone hated Jeff Kent. <laughs> and I wonder. I wonder how. And no one hated Scott Rowland. I. I do think that comes into play. I think that comes into play big time. I remember someone was accusing um, Jeff Kent of treating players of color nasty in a nasty way, and someone pointed out, "Said like, no, he was an a hole to everybody. He did not care your race, color, or creed. He just was a jerk to the entire planet Earth." And um, I don't. I don't recall a single person ever say anything nice about Jeff Kent as a human being. Um, and I wonder how much that falls over. And I have said that the, the sanctimonious attitude about 
performance enhancing drugs and uh, Hall of Famers. And I'm not going to, and by the way, I'm not going to get into the Pete Rose thing because I did a whole episode on that. He doesn't want to be in the Hall of Fame. So quit asking if he's going to be in. He's answered your question. He doesn't want to be in. He wants to make money out of not being a Hall of Famer. But that's a that's a previous episode. Go check that out. I'll probably make a video short of that so you can just share that with your loved ones over the breakfast nook. But for the ones who are PED users, that they are like the Bonds, Clemens, and of course Clemens has a whole new set of uh, baggage he has to deal with off-field you know, accusations and everything like that. I'm putting, putting that aside, you know, Bonds, Clemens, Alex Rodriguez, Manny Ramirez, Rafael Palmero, all, I mean, there's all of them have the numbers mm-hmm. to be in. We know Pudge Rodriguez was part of the Mitchell report. We know David Ortiz had a positive test. Jeff Bagwell is the most obvious user in the history of anything. But everyone liked everyone liked them. Everyone liked Big Poppy. Everyone liked Pudge Rodriguez. Everyone liked uh, uh, what was the last one? Jeff Bagwell. They were nice, cute, cuddly guys. But people didn't like A Rod. People didn't like Clemens. People didn't like Bonds. People didn't like Palmero after he did the whole finger wagging thing. People thought McGuire was full of you know what. Sammy Sosa should be in the Hall of Fame. Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa save freaking baseball. Yes. They belong in the Hall of Fame. Barry Bonds belongs. They should build a tower for Barry Bonds. If you want to say, and do you know what? If you're going to be sanctimonious about it, do you know what? Uh, Put on on this plaque, only put the information up until 1997. Because guess what? You could say the first person in baseball history to get 400 home runs and 400 stolen bases, multiple MVP winner. How about that? You know? But it's the sanctimoniousness about it, which brings up some of the ones coming up in the upcoming ballot. Oh, wait, real quick. A Rod's still on the ballot. He should be in. He's the greatest third baseman in the history of the Yankees. And when people say, was Derek Jeter the greatest shortstop of all time? He wasn't the best shortstop on his own infield. What were you going to say? <laughs> I was just going to say, um, because you're hosting Locked on Rockies this week, I was just going to say just for next year, because the guy who came in second to Sky Rowling for the most votes this year was Todd Helton. Oh, Helton, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I think he's probably a lock oh, to get that lock. leader bump. Yeah, and by the way, uh, on Tuesday's show at Locked on Rockies, I talk about uh, Todd Helton's candidacy and the fact that, you know, the, the first Rocky to get into the Hall of Fame, even anyone who played the game, was uh, Larry Walker. And I'm glad it was Larry Walker and not like Dale Murphy, who played a handful of games at the end of his career with the Rocks, but was, you know, was a brave. I would love to see friend of the podcast, Dale Murphy, on there. But anyway, but uh, uh, Todd Helton is definitely going to get in the Hall of Fame, and he should be. Yeah. He had, just- a, he had a Hall of Fame career. And just real quick, my feeling, I've talked about it a bunch on the podcast, whenever the Hall of Fame season rolls around, they got to judge up the same arguments about why you're pro or against the steroid users. Mine is always just a real simple philosophy. I'm pro with any steroid user up until 2004, up until the Mitchell report, because basically there was no testing. Baseball didn't care. After 04, I do care if you did steroids, because at that point, 
baseball did crack down. We did have this kind of black cloud over anyone who did steroids. And after that point, when we're actually policing it, when we actually have rules in place, if after 06, you did get caught with steroids, then I'm like, okay, I do look at you kind of shady. So if like Nelson Cruz gets on the ballot, then I might be like, you know what? He did do steroids in the prime of his career. That might knock him down. All right. Well, let me ask you this then. Um, And I understand that. I respect that. But like Alex Rodriguez was a was a Hall of Famer before the crackdown started. Manny Ramirez was. Yeah. Rafael Palmero was. Gary Sheffield was. Gary Sheffield had a great career. Had a phenomenal career for years. And it wasn't all just because he was injecting horse serum into his buttocks. You know, I mean, when it comes to like the Mannies and the A-Rods, I think it's the multiple allegations and the failed testings and the biogenesis scam. It feels a one-time thing. David Ortiz, and I'm the biggest Big Poppy fan you'll ever meet. But for God's sake, same with Pudge Rodriguez. But all David Ortiz has is the Mitchell Port, which baseball has thrown out. We have other instances post Mitchell Port Manny's and the A-Rod. That's why I'm like, it's a little bit different. If you're Manny and you fail like three times in your Major League career, that feels a little different to me than one time on a test where Major League Baseball themselves don't even give it any credence. Do you put Manny in? I love Manny. Personally, I mean, I, I grew up as a Red Sox fan. So I, I, Manny being Manny, I'm putting him in. But you put A-Rod in. Uh, see, A-Rod is where it gets a little nice. The dicey. greatest I, I, third baseman in Yankee history. I mean, don't with the throw state- Greg Nettles in my face. With the same logic, I would have to put A-Rod in as well. But I think personally, I wouldn't actually have either one of them. And just because you can't fail so many tests and have steroids delivered to your house, you have to have some kind of ground rules here. We can't just let in all the cheaters. Okay. post all right. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> What about these three? Uh-oh. Well, okay. Uh, uh, these five. Okay. <laughs> we got five names. Clemens. Yes? You want me to say yes or no? Yes or I'm no. Putting- I, I got Clemens in there. Okay. Me too. Bonds. Bonds on pro. Bonds. Okay. Palmero. Palmero. I would have to check the numbers. 3,000 hits, 500 home runs. Well, then, yeah. If it's if he did his work pre-04 Mitchell Port, if all those guys put up their Hall of Fame numbers pre-Mitchell Port, I'm pro any of those guys if they got the Hall of Fame numbers. Mark McGuire. <laughs> Yes, get the juiced up heads in there from the 80s. Because that's where I'm like, baseball, like you said, baseball needed those guys. They changed the game. Baseball turned their back. They Everyone benefited off the steroids in the 80s. So those guys should go in. But the guys post-04, when we weren't benefiting off steroids. Sammy Sosa. You know, Sammy Sammy Sosa's an interesting cat off the field. He's got some identity issues, but I guess he could go in the Hall of Fame. I just don't know what colors bust is going to be. Okay, look at he's doing. <laughs> I, I'm not going to touch that one. <laughs> I am not going to touch that one. You know, the, his bust will be bronze. That's all I know. That's all I know. Bleach all right, bronze. there you go. <laughs> there was one time he showed up and he had like a pink hat and he was wearing a pink suit and Superman, only Superman fans will appreciate this. He looked like Mr. Mitzelplek from the Superman comics. Anyone who gets that, send me a message at Sully Baseball because if you do, I'll put you know I'll put them side by side, Mr. Mitzelplek and how Sammy Sosa came out. All right, cool. Uh, but we agree that Todd Helton belongs in and uh, Adrian Beltre also on the ballot is a no-brainer. 
right? Yeah, I was going to say, look at next year. Are there any guys who are like are no-brainers? Or are there any guys Helton. who you just think are like just really interesting that you don't know where it's going to go like a coin flip? Uh, uh, well, Helton and Adrian Beltre have to be in. I vote good. for Sheffield. I absolutely have Sheffield in there. I like uh, that. Beltran is an interesting case because his – because of his the stink attached to him from the the Astros year, um, the the two most interesting cases that I think are worth looking at are uh, Billy Wagner and Andrew Jones. Um, mm. I can go either way on both of them. Uh, I've heard very compelling case on both sides, uh, and uh, and I'm, thank goodness I don't have a vote. But you you have two you have two that are absolute no brainers for next year, which are so if you're a Ranger fan, if you're a Rocky fan. Uh, go reserve your tickets to go to Cooperstown because uh, Todd Helton is going to is absolutely I'm going to make it, and um, and also uh, 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 Adrian Beltre. Yeah, yeah, him too. I don't know if he'll be a first ballot, but Joe Maurer is going to be on the ballot for the first time next year. He's, a, he's yeah, he's an interesting one. He's interesting. He may I, he's one that I think is worth debating over and, and seeing the pros and cons, especially because of his position. Yeah, I think because he's a catcher, I'm like, I'm just looking at his stats. Like, he's led the league in average three times. He's got the MVP. I think because of the numbers, the most, the two most interesting guys, I think, for me on this list is because when you think of their primes, it felt like they reached these really high highs, MVP finalists, but their primes actually didn't last longer than, like, six or seven years in terms of their peak. Both mm-hmm. a Chris Utley and a David Wright, both of them kind of dealt with injuries yeah. in the second half of their career. More David yeah. Wright, but both those guys for like five or six years, you could say maybe the best players at their position, but their peak wasn't as long as maybe you might have remembered when you go back and look at their stats. Which is why I bring back Sheffield. Look at how long he was a legitimate <laughs> MVP. And it wasn't all just steroids. He, for, for all those years with Miami, or they were Florida back then, those mm-hmm. years he had where he was, uh, you know, the uh, legitimate MVP candidate in in uh, San Diego, in Los Angeles. He played, you know, some great years with Atlanta, was great with the Yankees. Just his, he had such a long peak. So take a look. All right, we're getting we're getting off piece here. We've got to wrap this up here. Hey, um, let me throw the trivia question that I asked to Locked On Rockies to my audience here, uh, and the question is: When the Rockies had their great year in 2007, where they stunned everybody and went to the World Series, they had only one All Star representative that year. Who? was the Rockies' lone all-star for the year they went to the World Series in 2007. See if you can get it, and the Rockies fans can get it on Lockdown Rockies. Send your answer to at Sully Baseball. Hey, Miller Thomas, where can people follow your show? Hey, you can follow me on all your streaming platforms. Just type in Locked on Diamondbacks. We're also on YouTube, Locked on Diamondbacks on there as well. Follow my personal Twitter account, at careerthomas24, or look up the show account, Locked on Diamondbacks, both Twitter and Instagram for the show handle. And you can follow me. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Talking about a wild card race that's mainly wild because of mediocrity at this point and celebrating the non-mediocre legends. Is that non-mediocre? Is that grammatically? You know what I'm talking about. This is Locked On MLB, Locked On Diamondbacks crossover for the 24th day of July 2023. We're going to fist pump for another week. Boom.